Join me as we skip to the end of a book. Not the ending of the story, but further in the back, almost by the back cover, The Acknowledgements. I've always been fascinated by the acknowledgements and find myself asking questions I wish I had the answers to. Are the people they thanked still in their lives? Do they regret not including someone? What's the meaning behind this inside joke or story? Well, now I finally get the answers to my questions. In this podcast, I'll talk to the authors and explore the acknowledgements. So flip to the back of the book with me and let's start there. Hey, well, I am happy today to welcome Bruce Goldstein onto the acknowledgements. Bruce is the author of Puppy Chow is Better Than Prozac, the true story of a man and the dog who saved his life. Hi, Bruce. Hi, how you doing? I'm great. I'm really looking forward to talking to you about this book for many reasons beyond just our mutual love of black dogs. So I'm going to jump right into it. And I would love for you to give a premise of this book. I guess about, this is about 28 years ago when I was 25. I think that's the right math. I was going through a bad depression and I was having anxiety, depression. I was always used to being a confident person. My heart was beating really hard one time. So I didn't know. I thought I was having a heart attack. So I went to the emergency room and they said, you should see, have you seen a psychiatrist? And I'm like, what do you mean a psychiatrist? And that kind of started the whole ball with the doctor route and medication route. So I saw a therapist. I didn't want to take medication. Then I went to a psychiatrist because I was having hallucinations at this point. I saw Satan in Central Park, which is sounds funny, but at the time it was very serious. And eventually I started taking medication. But the problem with the medication is there were a lot of side effects and I wasn't, I wasn't getting cured by any means. So I went from like lithium to Prozac to every, every medication combo you can possibly have. But the medication can only get me so far. And at that point, I had actually talked to my therapist and she said, have you thought about getting a dog? And that was the turning point. And I was like, I can't even take care of myself. How can I get a dog? And that was the moment. My mother even told me not to get a dog. You can't take care of yourself. But I started looking around for dogs. They didn't make the dog that I wanted. I couldn't find him in New York. And then at the last moment, the night before Hurricane Bertha in 1996, I got a call from a breeder saying she had this special puppy and I can come take a look, but the storm was coming. But basically I had nothing left to, there was nothing holding me in New York. I had no choice. It was nothing else for me to, to do in my life, but to go check out this puppy. So I basically risked my life and my friend's life, drove out to Bohemia, Long Island, found this puppy. And over time I would fall in love and he would save my life. And that's how the Bruce and Ozzy journey became, which is, which is where Puppy Chow is better than Prozac kicked in. It's the unconditional love that is what a dog really gives you, that medication can't give you. And that's what I got from Ozzy. And we became we became really good friends, aside from raising him. And then it was we were a team. We'd go around the city. We were the Bruce and Ozzy show. And we met tons of people every day. One of my favorite parts of the book was the, the Bruce and Ozzy show, starting from the beginning, when I think you were like, what have I done? And he's peeing everywhere. He's pooping everywhere. He's eating everything. And I got to take him downstairs to go to the bathroom. You're figuring all that out all the way through when people knew Ozzy and would look for you both. And you became kind of this team. So that's definitely like one of my favorite parts of the book. What about 
about for you? What was one of your favorite parts, either to write or to just document? I think it's a little bit of both. What had happened with the book, I had kept journals about when I was basically begging for my life, when I was terrified. So able to capture that in words was like the Satan in Central Park thing was very powerful and scary. But then what the book, what's interesting in the book is it's a matter of like, the special moments. There were so many moments with Ozzy. What are the special moments of Ozzy? It was going to Central Park, for example. And this is just one of the moments. I would, there would be so many people around him, like on a hot, on a, a summer day in Central Park. They would start, they would pet him. They would find him. Every little kids, I'd take him on the subway. One day, a little kid spotted Ozzy, which is in my duffel bag. Nobody else spotted him, but this kid was on eye level with Ozzy. And I saw the kid and it was like the cutest thing. But we'd go to the park and people would literally line up to say, could I t- say hi to your dog? And that happened not just in one place that was in in central park that was in washington square park i would meet people on 57th street and they would say oh my god it's the puppy it's the puppy from i'm like who are you from washington square park on the weekend and they grabbed their friends from work look at that's the dog it was it was a magical thing just from meeting the celebrities and just feeling alive was having that that magical period of being born again the born again puppy person i think i called myself but you know there was a lot of magic i love what you write you end your acknowledgments with talking about ozzy and you say and Ozzy, what can I say that hasn't already been said? I love you, little guy. You gave me my life back. You taught me to love again. Oh, and I love that. That's so much. So how long did Ozzy live with you? He lived till he was 13. And what I'm grateful for, the book came out when he was 12. So he got to go on TV and be a little celebrity for that moment. Even though I took him on the morning show and he was just, nobody prepped me for having a dog on a live TV show. I brought a bag of pig ears and I was like feeding him under the table. And it was, uh, it was so funny and stressful. <laughs> but uh, he got to experience that. But most importantly, he got to experience my daughter when she was one. You know, when she was she was born, I had that first year of them together. But what was really interesting that I noticed was just a life and death and the way to look at it. So when I when I would walk Ozzy, he was just this beast. He was 110 pounds of beast. And when he didn't want to go somewhere, he wasn't going. And towards the end of his life, he was so tired and lazy and exhausted and his hips hurt. So I'd be holding him from behind me and I had to push my daughter in the stroller forward. And I was like, push and pull. It was, it was going forward and back. It was, I mean, I used to think about that while it was happening. But when he passed away, he it was heartbreaking. I never experienced any pain like that in my life. So it was like I brought I sent him to the to the doctor one day in a van. I put my baseball cap on his head before he went into the into the to vet. He didn't even turn his head at me. He like went behind he went behind the little area behind the desk. That was the last time I saw him. And that that was horrible. The next morning I was I had a bad feeling that whole night. I just cried. And then next morning I figured I'm gonna get him, pick him up. And I was feeding my daughter and then I got a call from the nurse, the receptionist. Like, well, I'm like, oh hey, Bruce Golson. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, so that's great. I'm going to go pick Ozzy. When can I come? She just starts crying hysterical, this woman. And I felt the floor. I was a mess. And my daughter's screaming. And it was, it was horrible. I just literally just that day, I just walked. And I just, my wife came home. I paid to her at work. Ozzy's dead. And I'm screaming and walked just walked all the way to the end of Manhattan until I couldn't stop walking. It was unbelievable. And I still make reference to Ozzy every single day. My kids know him. They always refer to him. I wish they got to grow up with him. And 
And I, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. There's no, I still take medication, but it's the love of the dog and everything I learned that really got me to be where I am today. You know, what's amazing. So many people wrote letters and somebody wrote a letter like years later, it was a parole officer. It was, she said a woman in her, in the prison, one of the inmates in a, in a female correctional facility chose my book to write a book report on. And she couldn't reach out to me directly to thank me. So she had a contact. It was so touching. That's amazing. Everything I did in, in advertising, all of the awards I didn't get or got, it doesn't to touch somebody like that yeah. means so much to me. That's so. really amazing how, how that influence carried so far of your relationship with Ozzy and your, your journey with him. You writing this book, like where, what led you to that, to be inspired to write this book? Because you say a lot about your life and your mental health and you're very transparent. I'll tell you, I kept journals during that period when I was going through the depression. I kept journals with Ozzy when he came to my life. It was so unbelievable, the characters that I met and the stories that happened every day. Every day I'd go out with my camera and my notebook and my dog. Everybody else worked. I didn't work. I got offered $30,000 to work that summer for an easy, easy job. I'm like, I can't handle it. I'm too depressed. I can't do it. I chose to hang out with Ozzy. But one day I was walking Ozzy on Park Avenue. On and It was where Deutsch used to be, which is the advertising agency. Really well-known place. That's where the depression first hit me. It was that moment I was crossing. I was walking across the street and I said the words, today was the the place that I walked by where where my depression started. Mm-hmm. I never thought to myself, blah, 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 I would be here. It was something like that. But I remember writing the words and I just went home and I couldn't stop writing. I never wrote a book before. I just was writing and writing. And, and then I just learned the publishing industry on my own. And I just, that's a whole 10 year journey of itself. So I want to look at your acknowledgements. I mean, I have a ton of questions here. So one is you talk about George Chambers, aka Ozzy's uncle, for taking good care of such good care of Ozzy when I've gone away because of George Ozzy had never spent a night in a kennel so tell me about George George and me were still very close we've always been close from the moment we've met and not sure how it actually began where he was really good with Ozzy he's a big guy that's really he's bigger than me I don't know he's six something really he's a, he was a bouncer at clubs he's a big big guy big presence <laughs> and Ozzy weighed 110 115 pounds so you're dealing with a big black dog yeah. who says I'm going that away and but <laughs> Yeah, I better have control over that. So, and I trusted Ozzy and I trusted George more than anything to take care of my my furry little child. And it's just, George is just a great guy. We still we still keep in touch. And one of anybody that get got the ashes of Ozzy, George was the only other person that got them. So that says how close I was to George. And yeah. the other person I wanted to ask about, which you and I got to talk about a little bit, is I also have to thank Frank. No idea what his last name is. He was just some guy who happened to be sitting next to me in the Barnes and Noble cafe when I first started writing Puppy Chow. And for the next 10 years, he'd listen to me read early excerpts. He loved my writing, always encouraged me to keep going, never settle out, gave me so much confidence when I needed it most. Thanks, Frank, wherever you are. And you've got to share this story. Frank was, I believe things are meant to be and people you run into at that exact moments, wherever they are, that's meant to be. As soon as I run into someone anywhere, I'm already diagnosing what this is about before the incidents even, what our connections even going to happen, what's going to 
take place. So I remember I was on the phone that day and I was talking to Frank. I was sure I was talking about the book. That's all I talked about. I was also a little manic during that whole period when the book was coming out. And Frank just started like shaking his head. Like, yeah, like he was in the conversation on the phone. Like, who is this crazy guy? Like shaking his head and doing this. And then I told him what had happened. And he said he was, seems like he was big in Hollywood. And I don't know exactly whatever really happened with him with that part of the world, with that part of his life. But anyway, I remember reading to him. He asked me to read him something that I had written and he was so into it. And I was young and I wanted that praise. I got off on the fact of somebody liking my writing and he really loved it. And it was really great. Whenever I wrote something, he was my soundboard. He was always around in Barnes and Noble when I was there. One time I remember, remember Eric Bogosian was speaking. He had written, had a book that came out and he's like, Bruce is up there, but I'd rather stay here with you and hear you read. I was like, you crazy? (laughs) I was so flattered. It was unbelievable. But Frank was also, I would say I'd be walking down. I remember one day I was really down. The book deal wasn't happening. Something was going wrong. And I would, you know, I didn't know what to do. I was just in this really big funk. And I look ahead and there's Frank like leaning against the doorway of like some building. I'm like, what the hell is he doing over here other than waiting for me? Well, he doesn't even realize that. And then we'd have, we'd have a conversation. He'd always be there. And it was always just someone that I didn't know. He didn't know my friends. He didn't know my family, but he was this spirit, this, this angel, I would refer to him. That would just be there at those moments and tell me the right thing. Sure. It's funny. It's it's kind of the way Ozzy came into your life and made this difference. And here's this other person, right? You don't even know his last name. You might not have known yours. And as you said, maybe there's a reason why sometimes people come into our lives. The timing was uncanny for that one. Yep. And now you you referred to Dr. T a little bit that you talk about. Where would I be without my amazing, caring psychologist? She helped me in so many ways. I love how you end this paragraph about her. I'd give her one great hug for the hundreds of hugs she gave me when I really needed. So tell me about your experience with her and that journey. The journey is, feels like out of a movie. I was the guy on the couch, so depressed, crying, anxiety, not knowing what the hell is going on with me. And I saw those stupid commercials. If, you, if you're depressed, you reach out to this number. And something triggered me to reach out to this place in New York on 57th Street. I got the number. I mean, this story is kind of crazy and funny if you read it. I got an appointment. I'm rambling on. Am I crying and laughing and telling my whole story to this woman? Turns out she's a social worker. I'm like, what the hell did I just tell you my whole life? He's like, let me, I'm going to get you a therapist now. What the hell is your, what did you make me do that? And then I meet Dr. T and I'm like, here we go again. Tell me, Bruce, why you're here. And then I had to spit it all out again. But she said one thing that struck a chord with me because I didn't believe like most people, a therapist, I don't need therapy. I'm fine. Even though I was a mess, I still didn't think there was anything wrong with me. But Dr. T said something because I have Crohn's disease too, which is also pretty horrible. And the mind and the stomach I knew were very related. And she said that. And when she said that, I said, ooh, Ooh, this this woman knows what she's talking about. We have something in common here. And then I agreed to see her for therapy. I was in a really bad place at that time. I saw her three or four times a week. But what she did, and she was in this office at the time with shared with other offices. But one thing Dr. T did, and I don't think any other therapist, psychologist has ever done is give the hugs. She gives you that hug when you walk out of the door. And all of my friends, one thing with me is if I believe in you, if I like you, a doctor, lawyer, whatever you are, I'm going to tell the world. And she saw every one of my friends and their friends and their their husbands and wives. Yeah. Everybody, everybody said they loved the hug. But the thing with Dr. T is she didn't prescribe medication. She said she would agree to see me for as long as I wanted without medication. 
but it got to the point when I had like my devil and Satan in Central Park experience and something else. And I'm like, all right, send me to a psychiatrist. And when I went to the psychiatrist, that was that was the beginning of Dr. Barnes was the psychiatrist. So she was all about the medication and monitoring. She mm-hmm. was, but Dr. T was amazing. Another one thing about Dr. T, big turning point is we used to have her, my session sometimes in the dog park on the West Side Highway. And I never had a dog. And that's kind of was always like, I don't know when the conversation started exactly. You want to hear an interesting story about how, why I got the dog? What yes. I mean, this is pretty crazy. So that's Dr. T is one of them. Okay. Yeah. Another one was I was in a really bad anxiety state when I was going to Barnes and Noble and it was on sixth Avenue at the time. And again, this is one of those experiences I'm judging at the moment it's happening. Some big mm-hmm. like homeless guy kind of walks by me while I'm on my computer. As he's bumping into me, he drops all these books and he kind of grunts. So I pick up a book and I go back and give it to him and it's go dog go. Okay. So that stuck with me. Go dog go. Mm-hmm. I had the doctor thing. There was a bunch of other things that happened. Yep. The real big one is on, I'll give you the right date here. May, it was Memorial Day weekend, right? May 1996. It's in July. I'm writing in my journal. I'm having a bad time with my friends there. That's in the book too. That's like, I think the beginning chapter. I'm really yeah. at a little point. And I'm like, I don't want to go back to advertising. I am so miserable. I don't know what I want to do with my life. And I'm writing in my journal. Maybe I'll, I'll quit advertising. Maybe I'll write a book about what I have no idea. Maybe I'll get a dog. Okay. Now, month and a half later or so, six weeks later, I would go meet Ozzy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Ozzy would be born. It would be, I would take him home at six weeks. Ozzy's birthday was May 26th, that day that I was begging to God to send me a puppy. So I still get chills. Mm -hmm. And I get chills when I also have that in a journal of mine. One day it dawned on me, I was looking at the journal when I was begging for Ozzy. That's his birthday. So and then the whole uh, Wizard of Oz story about going to pick up Ozzy in a hurricane to meet a woman. Yes. I mean, it was all just (laughs) Yes. I don't know if you're going to ask me about Dorothy, but Dorothy. I add, that was going to be the next person you have to talk about Dorothy. And my favorite is you'd be like, just keep calling me with all your questions, which you did, but she just needed a picture. <laughs> Except one time she said, Bruce, I don't mind answering the questions. You te- they're, you're amazing. You keep sending them. You love Ozzy. But maybe you could consolidate them in a day yeah. rather than calling all the time. But right. I didn't know anything about Dorothy other than this woman was letting me come see these two puppies the next day. And I don't know if you've read the book. So you've seen that there was two puppies. The, what's amazing with her is she said later on after I had brought Ozzy home, she said, in my history, I would never, ever sell a dog, give some, let's someone adopted dog, a yeah. man, a male guy, a single guy in New York, never. But I heard such desperation and care and heart in your voice that I had to meet this guy. And Dorothy had been there like Ozzy's, the stepmom, the real mom to answer any of my questions that I had throughout his whole life. And when the book came out, she was so happy because she was the star in there too. Yeah. You know, it, no, it was, she was wonderful and she was just a really genuine person. And I had looked around for dogs everywhere when I decided to get the dog. After I tried looking for dogs and I couldn't find the right one. When the right black dog came was available that in that ad the night before the hurricane, that was the one that was meant to be. And I didn't love him when I first met him. It wasn't love at first sight. He was yeah. cute. And he looked brand new. Like I'd never seen any, like a stuffed animal. <laughs> Everybody I met. There was no dog like him in New York. Yeah. But the love would come over time, yeah. like any relationship. And I think, I don't know if it's just me, and he was cute, and we had all these experiences. But maybe this is in real life, too, with people. I felt I didn't really love Ozzy or fall in love until he was like an old guy, until we were a team, until he had the gray hair. And we both knew where we had been together. And when he wouldn't let Brooke in, he wouldn't let my wife in either. He was so protective of me. He, mm-hmm. When she came over one time, I made her a big dinner. The place was set it up beautifully for her. He would just bark and circle and bark and bark and bark. And when she moved in, I didn't even she moved in at the time. She was in the shower 
and he was going to go up on her side of the bed and he put his paw, big giant paws on the bed. And then he put another one and she sees what's going on. Ozzy, what are you doing? He's like, no, don't do it. And he puts his hand even closer. Like, Ozzy, no, off the bed. And that was like, she claimed it was, I am the alpha dog. You're not up here. This is my place. And he respected her after that. That's what he needed to hear. From her. Yeah. <laughs> and you you talk about Brooke towards the end of the book as well and some of the ups and downs there and when you were kind of in a downward place of how you still had to take care of Ozzy and I felt like that was a few times that came up that theme of no matter how you're feeling you have this dog that you have to care for and he kind of got you out a lot of those just forced you to be instead of hiding from it I guess. Yeah, you really have from the big beginning when I brought him home till all the years. You, he's got to go to the bathroom. Is he going to be on your house? You got to take him outside. Yeah. You got to do what you got to do. You got to go to the vet. You got to get go shopping for the dog food. You got to just take him out for that walk. I mean, midnight, no matter when I came home with that dog for all those years, you're never at home. You're never tucked in at night. Your shoes are always right there. You got to go out at midnight or two in the morning. To yeah. walk. You have to. It's freaking freezing out, but you got to do it. Yeah. But you do find there's a certain something happens. That's that when you go out of those late nights when it's just you and the dog and you're outside and it might be freezing out warm whatever it's your yeah. time you and Ozzy's time and nobody could, has any idea what that time is like yeah. you know only another dog walker does who's out late at night kind of giving the giving the nod with their uh, their frozen fingers and their coffee but <laughs> yes <laughs> but yeah it's but you know life is different without a dog will there one day be another dog of course no one could replace Ozzy but will there be another dog in your life yeah but it's weird I was thinking about my kids are getting older. And when, what are they going to go to college? What, when is a dog going to happen? I don't, I want to technically in my perfect world, they would have grown up with one, but they didn't. So yeah. I don't know. There will be a dog. I want another lab. I know it won't be Ozzy, but I saw a dog this morning. It was woman walking um, black lab and it had the Ozzy look. It was an English lab. It was polished like Ozzy, really shiny and had the, the low legs. And I went to pet him and he had that just looked like Ozzy. It reminded me of him. Maybe it's because of this. Yeah right now we had a little sign from from Ozzy but yeah. I, I get so many signs from Ozzy I mean I'll be thinking about him I'll be feeling down there'll be someone sitting next to me they turn their neck there's a paw print tattoo there'll be the black dog t-shirt that always shows up I mean yeah. so many things that I know he's connecting with me but I never had a dream with him but he never showed up in a dream Brooke said he showed up in a dream once and she could see his feel his hair and he would walk by but I, I also think that there came a point where Ozzy waited like he was an old soul the mood mood swing messiah as i call him <laughs> he was an old soul and had to took care of me got me to where i had to be got me around the right people took me took care of me and it was his time to go back and take care of someone else and i totally believe that it'd be nice if he came by and said hello in a more like hey i'm all right or a check-in point but i guess it's just his way the same way he left me like kind of with the baseball hat on and walking when he went to get his surgery kind of like a you're okay now bruce yeah. i gotta go do something else now yeah there's a, a poem before that first chapter in the book. So tell me about, about that. I'm going to just like read a, a little bit from the bottom of it, the end of it. I beg of you, please save my soul before my dark, twisted reality buries me alive. Kill me or make me laugh. Bring back that funny kid from fifth grade. I am manic depression. And then God sent down Ozzy. Yeah, it's still pretty powerful. <laughs> I yeah. was, it almost never made it in the book. I don't even know when I wrote that because it was kind of before the book. I think it was in the journal period, the journey. Mm -hmm. I guess the whole wrap up of like you go through all this crazy shit of all the bipolar stuff and I experienced so many crazy 
parts of it. At the end of it all, the reason I lived is because I didn't want to die, that I talked about it. That's why I'm alive. So I, the real reason I lived, I believe, is that I told everybody, I told everybody about what happened. And I told it in a book and hopefully that's yeah. some people. But with that poem, it really is, it's all that stuff. But then I just wanted to be that funny kid in the fifth grade again with no responsibility and just funny, confident, not dealing with the future of life, I guess. And then this freaking little fuzzball comes along. <laughs> And here we are. It's amazing that so much time has passed right now to to get me where I am and get lots gone on since then. And I I think when nowadays that talking about mental health and depression, anxiety, whatever it might be, is so much more common. At least I I like to think so. At least in the the groups that I circle with, I feel like it's very honest and transparent. But I, I feel like you wrote this and experiences at a time where perhaps it wasn't as people weren't as open or transparent. I, I know now people will be like, what's that therapist recommendation? Or what about this medication and all of that? People talk about it. So did you hesitate because you were writing this at a different time about sharing your story with the world? I think I was just so fascinated how insane what I went through was. I also yeah. like I had, a, I couldn't keep it in. Like hallucinating and having this devil thing in Central Park was wild. Yeah. Or the spending sprees. I also, one of the things that helped and my Dr. TN Dr. Barnes, a psychiatrist, said, Bruce, you're in good company. Because I would just mm-hmm. stop crying yeah. and they would hug me. And like, wow, Robin Williams had this stuff and Edgar Allan Poe yeah. and Hemingway, people didn't talk about it. But so mm-hmm. I, it just kind of, it, it was all just happening out of me. I had to get it out. And it was also a creative outlet. And are will you be writing again? Are you writing right now? Yeah, I'm writing. I'm writing. I'm writing. I'm working on a courtroom thriller right now. Jury was going to be called Jury Duty, but now there's that show on Jury Duty. It's right. Jury Duty. Yes. It's alternate jury. The alternate juror. I don't want to tell what that's about right now. But uh, yeah, no, I'm writing. It's like if I didn't write, I'm working working on learning about TV right now and writing TV shows. Just learning that process is different than writing a book. Yeah. But it's if I didn't write, I don't know what I would do. That's the I'd write it in the coffee shop like four hours a day. I don't know how I would fill that time. <laughs> one of those things. Well, one of the the parts I also love about the book is to towards the end, you've met Brooke and you, you talk about this sections in the epilogue and you're saying to Bruce, it's not easy. I know it's not, but we'll do it. We've been through this before. Now get up slowly when you're ready to put my leash on and let's go out for a walk. And actually that's Bruce telling you, I mean, Ozzy telling you. And what I loved about that message, and I saw that a few times, was that message of let's keep going let's take one step at a time. And I think that's such a powerful piece of this book, especially when you're talking about mental health and talking about a lot of the things you did, which was, of course, Ozzy, was medication, was therapy, surrounding yourself with a support system. So I, I think you brought a really important message. Yes. Yeah, it's been, a, it's been a journey, I guess you could say. And it's still, I mean, even being bipolar, but still being bipolar and I tell everybody I'm bipolar right now. I don't really care. And if any, what I've learned too through this whole thing is when I speak, other people tell me their stories or they'll tell me about their mother's story or they'll tell me someone's in a hospital. And then I, I kind of give them what I went through and I'm not the solution, but I'm here think that what you're sharing is what we said before about the sometimes the more you talk about these things is the more that people will open up and know they're they're not alone and there's still some stigma out there about mental illness and I think that 
this book, among other things, is the way to get past that and allow people to open up. I belong to a, and it's more of a platform called Deconstructing Stigma. And there's a lot of different people in it. There's from normal people to celebrities to Bruce. Every people with anxiety or people that are bipolar or people that suffer just depression, clinic, whatever, whatever it might be. Yeah. Like, what is it? Jam Master J. One of the guys from, from Monday MC's in it. Like Howie Mundell for OCD's uh -huh. in it. And it's really cool. It's just a website and like my stories in there and everybody has their story. But what's great about it is everybody, and it's really the message, everybody that whether you're famous or not feels the same. Everybody is connected through that. I think the, as you're reminding me about things in the book, I think the last line of the book is two of them. It says something about, and I'm going to find it. I'm going to read it. I think it's back there. It's right. Yeah. This part, I had no idea where I was going from here, but I had no fear. I had faith that my seeing eye dog, my mood swing messiah would continue to show me the way. Thanks to Ozzy, I was really looking forward to my future. The place I thought I'd never get to see. Ozzy saved my life. Good boy. That was a big one. <laughs> And then, and then I thank God this book was written by Bruce Goldstein, not in memory of. And yeah, it's a, yep. it was very, very fortunate. That is very powerful. And I'm so appreciative of you sharing your story. It was very brave to do in the book and today with me. So thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for getting curious about the acknowledgments and remember to read from cover to cover. Check out the acknowledgments on Facebook, Instagram, or theacknowledgements.com. There you'll find more information on the books and authors that I talk about here.